Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed Him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello, I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister within the Church of God Cleveland Movement and the director of Spirit Watch Ministries, a Christian outreach providing biblical discernment in a time of deception. Our podcast is called, Where Are We Going? People are asking that kind of question more and more in our conflicted, confusing, and volcanic times, and increasingly, we are finding ourselves more and more bewildered and just wondering where things are headed. We've not touched on our own take about many current events or hot-button issues that are currently causing a lot of that concern, but as we've always asserted, Scripture provides for us the clearest answers for such questions. You can trust the Bible, we've been saying, and in its pages, we read that Jesus said definitively, when asked of his disciples that very kind of question, that we should all take heed that no one deceive you. Spirit Watch Ministries has been contending for the truth about where we are going since 1993, and I'm thankful to have had the privilege of bringing what insight we can about during that time. We offer biblical perspectives on our deceptive times of trouble you just won't find anywhere else, and we want to welcome all of our new listeners from Amazon, Google, and Spotify. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you bookmark us and return again next week when we release our next podcast each Saturday at midnight. Now, we're going to do something we've never tried before, and that's actually try to fill two podcasts a week. And today, what you're listening to now is our Wednesday edition. And we're going to pick up on our ongoing discussion concerning the socially oppressive and intrusive nature of the Xenos Dwell movement we've been examining off and on in the past few months. It's easy to find us on the internet if you need to look for us. And you can find us at our spearwatch.org ministry website or on Facebook using the search term Spearwatch Ministries. Now, apart from the spiritual bankruptcy, religious elitism, and finely tuned program of indoctrination where cultic mind control of young minds uh, has been part of their agenda, Xenos' influence is particularly insidious when it comes to how it handles those who struggle with emotional and psychological challenges, which emerge as they are submitted to the high-pressure demands for obedience and compliance with their teaching and example in close living arrangements such as the ministry houses. We will be discussing this in more detail in future podcasts, but for now, we're going to invite Oliver Long, a former Xenos leader, back to our virtual studio to discuss this most disturbing and sensitive topic. We just want to let you know that you might be triggered by some of what you are about to hear, so just please keep in mind as you listen. Oliver, I'd like to read for you uh, a quote by Dennis McCallum, who obviously is a pretty well-known figure within within Xenos, who who wrote uh, several years back during a particularly uh, turbulent time in in Xenos' recent past, in which apparently, as as he describes it, uh, during the past few years, Xenos student workers have withstood an unprecedented number of students contemplating suicide. We've also witnessed several actual attempts at suicide, 
including two actual successful attempts resulting in death. This is from his statement that's called Ethics and Suicide. It's quite it's quite substantial. It requires, I think, a, a, a much longer, <laughs> much a full length sort of a discussion, uh, within our podcast here later. But for now, uh, I won't focus in on one statement he says here that I think, uh, will help us get a little more traction into where he's coming from. Uh, McCallum goes on to state, state that, uh, when we're trying to protect students from suicide, we have worked out plans that emphasize putting potential victims in touch with healthcare professionals, rather than trying to handle these cases ourselves. We also require disclosure to parents when the potential victim is a minor. So aside from these measures, we continue to offer emotional support, friendship, instruction, and counsel in the hope of avoiding death. We also remain committed to ministering God's compassion to the family members of those who commit suicide. And I think in the past few podcasts, uh, that we've been exploring, uh, the, the, the dark places that Xenos can lead people into, one of the perhaps the deepest and darkest voids is this very subject in terms of people who suffer from, um, from, uh, all sort of, um, uh, deeply, um, deeply, uh, cutting personal struggles. And, and, uh, and, uh, mental health challenges that, that really try them. And, and that, um, according to Dennis, uh, the church fully stands behind, uh, people to support them with. Uh, but from what I understand, uh, in, in our discussion in the past, uh, that's not really been what you've seen, has it? No, no, and I can speak to this directly. So, I've struggled a great deal, you know, as I've talked to you about with, you know, contemplating suicide. And, a lot of it stems from kind of the foundation that Xenos established or Dwell established in its very name. I mean, it calls itself, uh, Xenos is derived, I think, from the Greek, which means sojourner in the foreign land, right? So there's always this attitude of we're somewhere we shouldn't be, right? We're somewhere that's, uh, um, where we're disaffected, where we're, um, we don't jive with it. You know, there's, there's some sort of like, it's not right, like this feeling of une- uneasiness and that sort of thing. And like a lot of what Xenos does and a lot of what comes about from like their ministry makes you come into contact with like this feeling of like cognitive dis- dissonance, right? Like I'm lonely while well, the body of Christ says I shouldn't be lonely. I don't really know who I am or what my spiritual gifts are or how I should be playing a purpose. Well, the body of Christ says that you should know. So there's all of these disconnects between what Xenos says and what your experience is. And what that does is it just creates this breakdown in your psychology, right? And for people like me who struggled with depression um, to start with and who started going to Xenos, because they wanted a community, because they wanted to um, walk with God, because they wanted to hear his voice in their life, to find out that the reality was not a loving community, it was a controlling community, to find out that it wasn't a selfless community where people were helped. It was a selfish community where certain people were built up at the expense of others. When you start to see this stuff, and you start to see that it stands in stark contrast from 
what it was that you thought you were promised or what you thought you could get out of it or what you thought God truly desperately wanted to bring to your life, it, it, it's the most devastating thing a person can go through. So it's no surprise to me that Xenos struggles with an increased rate of suicides because this machine that they've created, this idea that, you know, we're going to build leaders, that we're going to continue to duplicate ourselves, that we're going to split home churches, that we're going to grow exponentially. And this idea that all of those things need to be built on sacrificing your time, your effort, your emotions, uh, your friendships, right? You know, if you're successful in discipling somebody, they're going to go lead a church and you're not going to see them again. You know, they're going to split off from you. They're going to lead another cell group, right? As you become more successful in Xenos, um, you become more lonely and disaffected. Right. So it is no surprise for, to me that this, this occurs and that they struggle with this type of thing. Right. When I was at Holden Beach, and I don't remember what year this was, the, the, when I was really, really seriously contemplating suicide, the thing that put me there, uh, as I've talked to you about, was this idea that my life is going to be characterized by abject loneliness in sacrifice, and that is all that I will experience here on earth. Right. I will have, you know, blips of joy, but those will be clouded over by just tremendous suffering, right? Suffering for wow. the cause. Yeah. And is, is that I, something that people feel a lot of? Do you think that's just this cosmic disorientation oh throughout all of Xenos' culture? It is. A, it, that's, a, that's a good way to... Uh, to, to describe it as cosmic disorientation. I remember talking to a friend of mine, her name was Chandra, and I think she's still in the church right now, and saying these are the axiomatic, axiomatic truths that I have been able to come up with in my five years here, right? You know, you're always going to be alone. You need to go to the Bible, you know, to get to get your source of authority because these other people, you know, you can't necessarily trust them. So it was a very skeptical, jaded, disaffected view on what, what it was that God wanted to offer us. And it was brutally depressing, you know, and I, so to your point, you know, when Dennis says, well, you know, we've had a, we've had an influx of people that are depressed and suicidal. Well, absolutely. Your entire church structure creates that by what it is that you say people should be and what they should be doing. And then the second thing is when he says, well, we sh we, we get people in contact with healthcare professionals. That's absolutely not true. That is a lie, and it needs to be called out as such. I went to counseling at Xenos to their quote-unquote counselors for years trying to get help with my depression and the things that I was thinking, the things that I needed to work through, both from my past and things that I was experiencing in Xenos, as I came in contact with the realities that, hey, something is off here, something is wrong, something is not authentic with what we're trying to do, right? So I was talking, I, I would meet with a counselor, every a Xenos counselor every week for years trying to work through this stuff. So... Uh, and they weren't sanctioned secularly. I mean, they weren't, you know, they didn't have a background in it. They were somebody that was, quote, unquote, gifted, um, either empathetically, gifted with discernment, 
um, things that the church would prescribe, like, well, this person, you know, clearly is, uh, they, they feel thing, you know, yeah. Those were the people that were the quote unquote counselors. We're not talking about people that were like brought up, you know, and, and went to school for this, people that received their, you know, master's degree or doctorates or whatever in counseling. These are people that are lay people that uh, pick up a few cheap tricks along the way. So that's a level of expertise that was provided to me. And even then, I remember talking to the woman that was counseling me. She couldn't give me assistance on some of the, the questions that I had and the things I was dealing with because, lo and behold, they ended up being, you know, a chemical imbalance, right, something that I physically could not get over myself no matter how hard I tried. She she directed me to another person in Xenos that actually did have that schooling but was very entrenched in the Xenos framework and she provided, she gave me a diagnosis that I was, uh, a, a bipolar and schizophrenic. So they gave me a really hefty dose of lithium. Now this is after one meeting. I went to her once. She diagnoses me as schizophrenic bi- and bipolar, gives me this dose and anything that I had felt before, like this is wrong. This is off. This needs to be addressed. This is not the way that life should be. Um, to live life, to live it abundantly, as I've said, to be in a body of Christ, that it manifests all the greatest things to the world. This is not what we're doing here. Yeah. All of those like cognitive dissonance or uh, uh, things like that, they all disappeared because I was so unbelievably drugged. And I remember going to her after I started this dose, because I don't think it takes that long for lithium to get that um, into your system. I remember telling her, like, I don't know how this is better because now I don't feel anything, you know, now I don't, I don't feel that something is wrong, but I literally just don't feel anything, no joy, no pain, no suffering, nothing. And like the, the lethargy, the, um, the drowsiness, the lack of uh, ability to think clearly. I mean, it was literally like you've been drugged into submission by a, a diagnosis that had no merit that was given after an yeah. hour of questions and yeah. answers. And would and you I'll, say, I'll and would you say this is a, this is a common thing that goes on in us all the time? I mean, it just it sounds know, to me like it is. it is. I don't know how common it is, but I will tell you what, anybody that goes to their quote unquote counselors is not getting the help that they need. Right. And right. I, I can tell you about my sister, my friends, people who have real legitimate struggles where the church will say, well, you know, we're not, you know, our 20 year old college kid is not prepared to handle this. So we're going to send you to, you know, this quote unquote counselor that is, those counselors aren't adept or equipped to handle that either. They don't provide, you know, any sort of resources for them to do it. I can remember telling my counselor that I was going to kill myself and I can remember telling her what day I was going to kill myself. And I can remember telling her I was going to go down to the 12th Avenue garage um, and climb all the way to the top of the roof and jump from that roof. And there are certain protocols that when people scream out for help or or even scream out in such a manipulative manner, there are certain protocols that you're legally obligated to follow that Xenos never followed. Absolutely. You know? 
and it's it's unbelievable to me. Like I had a plan. That's the first. That's the first thing they ask you. Do you have a plan? Right. And and in the secular world, do you have a plan? Well, yeah, I've got a plan. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> when are you going to execute that plan? Well, I'm going to execute that plan on this point. Well, so so here, you know, they they're not equipped. They're not able to handle that sort of thing. Um, they're woefully inadequate when it comes to that, and they don't right. tell you where to go to actually get help. Right. So you so told them all of this, and you told them you had a plan. You told them when you're going to do it. You clearly showed signs of that, and nothing was acted upon. Absolutely, nothing was acted upon. I mean, this is this is, you know, I put this in. You know, I would write to her. Um, we had a weekly meeting, and then I would write to her yeah. um, via email. You know, sometimes several times a day. Yeah. And, and it was very, very like, okay, I finally given up, you know, type, type thing. I can remember it very vividly. And my parents right. who had access to my email or actually, sorry, my older sister who was able to remember what my password usually was, was able to get on to my email, read what I had been telling them and then actually take it seriously enough to get me help. And that help was not lithium. That help was not let, let's numb this kid into oblivion. That help was let's get him out of this situation, help, have him talk to somebody, um, that actually knows what they're talking about and, and can actually help him work through some of this stuff. And like I told you, I think, uh, midway through our conversation, the help ended up being a very mild dose of Zoloft. It wasn't that it wasn't acute, but once right. when you're in the Xenos bubble, it's like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. Right. And when things started to fall apart, and I started to feel even more like, you know, God, I am out on a flipping island here. I got these twelve guys looking to me um, to uh, to lead them. And I can't even leave myself, right? I thought I was supposed to marry this girl and this relationship is gone. I thought I was to leave. I I came back, you know, I, I had left the church for a while, several years before that. I came back to the church to co-lead with uh, this woman, Meg, um, because she had basically brought me back. And that was falling apart. That relationship was falling apart. It, it She was the one that I felt like, man... She gets it. She gets how enormous this task is. She gets how um, she she gets all of these things that this church doesn't get and doesn't teach. And when that relationship started to fall apart, um, one of the guys I was closest to in the house, uh, he had gotten married and, and moved out. I mean, there were a lot of things that kind of like came together. And I just, I literally and figuratively, you know, just, you know, I fell apart. You know, my school started to suffer. Even the classes that I was, you know, already doing kind of the bare minimum in, that started to suffer. Um, my ministry started to suffer. I, I couldn't figure out what it was I was supposed to be doing in my life. I didn't have any clear direction and things just weren't, didn't feel like they were working out. Um, and we, I mean, it was just, just a very it was like a culminate like a culmination of so many things and just a very like lost moment in my life and like the people i would go to for help right i would go to like the, the counselors at xenos <laughs> mm-hmm. and i would be like okay you know so 
how do I make this work? Like, what am I doing wrong here? Like, tell me what to do to make this all right. Um, you know, and you're, you know, you're getting the same, you know, kind of crap that you would get if you went to, like, I went to Dennis at one point to ask for advice, you know, on what was going on. I went, you know, went to my fellow leaders and that sort of thing. I was not getting anywhere as to why it was I would go into a meeting and teach that this is the body of Christ. These are the closest relationships. This is what being in this group will provide you in your life that you have never had or experienced before. Why I would go in and say that out of one side of my mouth and then go home alone and feel utterly abjectly like by myself and not have any sort of that experience, you know, I would just, it was just, you know, that dichotomy was just mind blowing to me. And it just, it, it was just like, you know, I'm lying to everybody. I'm lying to everybody about a life. I, I haven't even been able to lead or have myself, you know, but yet I'm promising every person I'm bringing around that, you know, you're going to live life and live it abundantly. Like this is the best life you can live here in a fallen world, you know, is by joining this church and being a part of things here. And when it didn't seem like that was the case anymore, or my experience didn't line up with that, once that wasn't the reality, you know, God, everything started to crumble, literally crumble in, in everything I was doing. Um, so like my discipleship relationships, those were fall, you know, falling apart, right? Because, you know, guys would come to me for advice and for leading. And I would say, I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. Like, and, and that was a the thing. There was no, there should, the way that we were told to present things, there should have been no room for doubt. Right. We had it all figured out. Right. We, you know, as a 24, 25 year old person, like I should have had it nailed down, but you know, I would say, uh, you know, I don't know either. So, whoa, wait a second. How, how don't you know? Right. You're the one who's supposed to be leading me, you know, mm-hmm. so those would, would fall, those were starting to fall apart. Like my teachings, you know, I taught probably, oh my goodness. I would taught at least once a week, sometimes three times a week. My teachings would not have the same, um, same passion. Teach. Exactly. They they just didn't have, carry the same weight, same passion. So the the results, right? You know, Xenos will always say like, well, you know, we don't, we're not a group on based on numbers, right? You know, we're 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 based on the quality of people's walks with God. You know, not the quantity. Now they're they're very much based on numbers, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted to be a super church. They wanted to be, you Isn't know, they've been honoring it, right? Oh, absolutely. We want to be a church planning movement, right? We want to be part of this movement. We want to be the next great thing, right? Come to our servanthood classes, close your eyes. And if you're committed, you need to stand up now type type deal. So, you know, I, I didn't have the results anymore, right? I didn't have, I was the charismatic, passionate person that was compelling everybody to, you know, move into the house or join the home church or come out to meetings and, and that sort. Of, so my results weren't there. So you were starting you know, to lose. Were there were there uh, members that you were ministering to finally leaving? So nobody left until after I left. So after I left, 
I think everybody in the ministry house left. The home church was disbanded. And I think a a handful of people are still in fellowship at Xenos right now. Um, But it basically just, just, just crumbled because after I left, then it was the leader that was sent in there to kind of, you know, clean things up. It was back to the black and white, you know, you do this, don't do that. And, and, uh, you know, I had spent so much time trying to instill personal responsibility in each of the guys to, to make choices on their own. Right. When they, when somebody started to come in there and, and say, you know, don't smoke in the house or don't smoke on the porch. You need to go smoke in your car or, you know, you need to have a curfew of 10 o'clock or you need to be, you know, you're not in school. So I'm going to kick you out of the house. Right. You know, you're not attending classes or you're not, it was basically like, you know, if you're not doing X, Y, and Z, here's the criteria you're, you, you know, type thing, you're gone. Um, and most of the guys ended up, you know, over the next months and, and couple of years, probably, you know, probably maybe only a year, but a year or two ended up leaving, you know, mm-hmm. at, at, shortly after that. Um, and it was only then that they, we reconnected, right? Because when you're in the church, you know, you're not allowed to be in contact with people who are out of the, outside the church. So they would sneak me, they would, uh, uh, sneak me over and I would hang out with them and stuff, you know, cause I, I really love them. So they would sneak me over and, and we still have like a friendship relationship and that sort of thing. Um, when I, can't even have decent relationship, and that's understandable. Yeah. When it was, you know, I remember when I was living in my car, one of the guys that was still in the house, like he couldn't sneak me into the house in the middle of winter when it was cold. There was like two feet of snow on the ground, but he's like, "Oh my god, he's going to die in this car." So he came to where I was living, you know, pulled me out of the car in the middle of the night and took me to his parents' house, right, so I could have like a warm place to sleep you know, in the middle of winter and stuff, but there was, you know, they weren't allowed to have any involvement with me. You know, it was one of those things that was like completely, you know, shunned. It wasn't that, you know, man, this is a struggling brother that we need to shore up or, or even on the other side of things, like this is something that went terribly wrong here and we need to figure out what went wrong or um, whatever. It was basically like that. You know, you failed, you haven't made the cut, and you're, you're toast. And, you know, uh, just didn't uh, – um, I mean, it was – I still look back on that. <clears throat> and I wish during its – at some point in the time I was at Xenos, I wish somebody had said, you know, maybe you have a chemical imbalance or maybe you need to go to a professional and seek professional help with some of these things. It wasn't until after I was gone from Xenos that I finally, it broke down the stigma, like mental health and that sort of thing. Like if you have mental health in Xenos, you're not following God, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, mental health issues or, or that sort of thing. You're, you know, you're not following God properly, right? And if you need a chemical to make you feel good about your relationship with God and, and what you're doing here on earth, you know, 
oh my gosh, like you're, you're basically drugging yourself to have an experience and, and how, how, how much can you trust of that experience to actually be authentic? Right. So any sort of like medication prescriptions, work with uh, a real therapist, work with a, a psychiatrist, all of that stuff, extremely, extremely frowned upon. It was only until after I was out where I said, my God, maybe, you know, right? The counselor in Xenos who I went to for three years, they didn't help me. None of the other leaders helped me uh, figure things out, why why it was that things were going this way. Maybe I am really depressed. Maybe I do have a chemical issue that's outside of my control. Maybe I do have things from my past I need to work through. You know, maybe I don't have it all together like I thought I did. You know, it was only then that, you know, long I started to, oh, absolutely, started to get stable. You know, I met Linnea. I uh, started to see a psychiatrist. Um, I got on some uh uh, just really mild, uh, like Zoloft, you know, whatever did wonders for me. Um, started to get, you know, stable, moved into a, a house with a couple guys in college. Um, you know, started to go back to school, you know, for, long, for a real degree and all that. How long after you, after you, you, you left from Xenos was it until you finally came back to that? conclusion that maybe I do need to seek some professional help. How long did it take you to get to that point? So it took, um, I went, I started to take some Zoloft. I, gosh, I don't remember when I actually got prescribed. And I thought about, I had a, a doctor's appointment a few months ago. I thought about actually asking him like, okay, based on my chart, when did I start taking this? Right. Because it's just, it gets so that time period in my life is just so flipping blurry, you know, as to like what transpired when. Um, and I, I, I really wanted to see, you know, because I know, so I know that it was, I graduated with the philosophy degree in the winter. It was winter quarter. It was in December. Yeah, I was yeah. living in my car like the first quarter of the next year. I met Linnea. Yeah, met Linnea during that time and thought, oh my God, I can, this girl would never want to date me if she knew I was homeless. <laughs> what year was so that, was, uh, Jeff? What's that? What year was that? I want to say it was like maybe 2007 ish, okay. 2008, something like right. that. Um, because then I know when I went back to school, it was like at the bottom of the, the financial, um, uh, decline and, and whatnot. Mm. So yeah, it was, it was around that time. And then I, I moved in with a friend that I had met in a philosophy class. He had said something about, you know, he had a room for rent. So I moved in with him, um, during that, during that, uh, met Linnea. And, and was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I have to have something to offer in this relationship. So I was like, you know, I got to have a place to live and at least look like I've got something together in my life. So it was a lot of like fake it, fake it until you make it, <laughs> you know, type yeah. stuff. And, and to be honest, like, you know, she, she knew there was a lot more to what I, than what I was telling her. Right. And, and when I first met her, I was convinced she had been sent by Satan to like 
keep me from like reconciling with the church and, and going back there. Right. So there was a ton of stuff in our relationship early on that, you know, I had to think like, okay, well, you know, maybe God loves me regardless of what I do and where I go to church. You know, maybe God is, is a good God and wants to give me good things in my life, regardless of whether I'm quote unquote successful in my own eyes. Right. Maybe God's grace um, can cover any sort of like transgressions that are real or imagined. But yeah, I mean, when I, when I met her, I remember talking about friends in the church, like, Oh my gosh, I, I knew it. God was going to send this woman, you know, and here she, or excuse me, Satan was going to send a woman and here she is, you know, to lead me astray and all this jazz and, you know, that, that sort of thing. But it, yeah, it, it was, um, it was probably, yeah, 2008 ish. And then, um, you know, it took me a few months at the start to kind of get back on, on, on my feet a little bit. Um, got back into school, uh, you know, got money through loans and stuff so I could afford, uh, my rent was 300 bucks at, at my friend's house and, um, started to go back to school, um, and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, it was you know, definitely around that time. Wow. So, Jane, that's an incredible story, man. I really, man, uh, I got home well, about, I, half, I, about half an hour ago. I've been oh, listening. Oh, no, no, no. And I, I've, been incredible. Been, uh, I've been rambling. But no, you've not. I, you, we, you've been very, I think you've been very deliberate because I've been asking you questions and uh, you're telling me exactly. I mean, you're not telling me. I mean, you're sharing with me your, your life, man, and, and, and what, what it was like, you know, hacking through that horrible mess. And that really, it just speaks to just, you know, really how devastated you were by this movement. Uh, w- w- is it fair to say, would you say that you, w- were you diagnosed with depression or do you think yes. this was something? Okay. So you were diagnosed with clinical depression yes. that had been glossed over by all the labor you did with Xenos, the excitement, Absolutely. the adrenaline, the groups, the, you know, the, the rush of, 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 of uh, being around people and being in charge until you finally realized you couldn't make it add up anymore. Yeah. And that was the second, that was the second time my life had fallen apart. The first time my life had fallen apart was I was in Xenos and I was probably about 18 years, 18, 19 years old. So I had joined a ministry house. I was in, I was in high school ministry. I was a ministry leader because, you know, and, and, and it was, I was really, really, really depressed and to the point where I was suicidal, right? Yeah. I, I was, I was just, I was unbelievably suicidal and we went to Holden Beach and I decided at Holden Beach I wanted to kill myself, right? I was going to do it at Holden Beach. And I was going to kill myself by drowning, right? I decided I, w- I wanted to drown. And I I was like 19 years old. And one night I I was, I drank a bottle of Stoylichnaya. I remember my friend who was in Russian studies had come back from a, a Russian trip, brought me some Russian vodka. I finished a bottle. I spent some time with this girl that was a co-leader with me in our high school group. And I'd said to her, 
you know, here are the things I've learned about what walking with God is really like. And it, I mean, it was just all devastatingly like, you know, you're always going to be alone. You can't trust anybody, you know, stuff like this. And, um, spent, spent a few hours with her and, you know, we prayed and stuff and, and, and that sort of, but you know, nobody's equipped to handle people who are going through some sort of episode. And after that, I went, um, my friend Amanda and a couple of the other people, Sarah, there were a couple other people. We went swimming and I decided, okay, well, this is, this is where I want to die, you know, type thing. And the tide was really, really strong. And I had, we got out there and I knew, I knew it was strong. I mean, I'm a very strong swimmer, but we got out there and I, I pushed the girls back in and then I just let it take me out. Right. So they got in, they knew how dangerous the current was that night. You know, we're all kids from Ohio. Nobody knows what, you know, when the riptide is strong, nobody knows how to deal with that sort of thing. I let it pull me out uh, uh, to deeper water. And then it, uh, not threw me up, but I, I floated up the beach, right? That's the way the current was going. Got out. Um, because I, when I was out there, I was like, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, you just have like that moment of truth where you're just like, you know, like, I don't, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to, this to be it, you know, type thing. So I got out and, I start all of like the hatred and the self condemnations. Like, you, you know, Oliver, you, you can't even do this right. You can't even kill yourself right. Not only are you a terrible, you know, person, you know, in your life, but God, you're even failing at this, right? You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you just can't, you, you can't do anything right type thing. So I was like, okay, well, I don't have the, um, I cannot, go through with taking my own life. I'm not strong enough to take my own life right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to back myself into a position where I have to. So I got out on the beach and I heard the girls, you know, when it was nighttime, I heard them like 200 yards up the beach, you know, hollering for me and stuff like that. And then they ran back to the house. Like, you know, Oliver got sucked out to sea And I was like, okay, well, this is what I need. I need them to think that I did this and that's how I die because then I can go and I can go do it right. You know, so it was just just an unbelievable, like I'm going to back myself in the position where I'm going to make it so difficult for me to show up alive after this that I'm going to, I'm going to have to be, I'm going to have to go through with this. So they went back to the house. I went up the beach and all of the houses are up on stilts and whatnot. So I went underneath the house and was underneath the stairwell and just sitting under there, you know, and they went and they got like our, our home church leader, Ryan, who came out. Oh my gosh, Oliver got sucked out to sea. You know, they raised the alarm. And and I mean, this is like the entire college ministry was like, oh, my gosh, Oliver got sucked out to sea. And I was I was sitting under there and nobody could find me because, you know, they don't they don't know the look right under their nose. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, like, I'm I am a fraud. I'm a terrible person. And I need 
I need to go do this. Like I need to make this, um, I, I need to be able to go through with this. So, you know, because you don't want to show up after two hours and be like, ah, I put you guys through a lot of shit for nothing. So they were all, they all searched for me. And I was like, you know, I, I laid under there and listened to them talk about me. Oh my gosh. Like he turned Ryan's cell group around. Oh my gosh. This has got to be the work of the devil because he's so charismatic and he's such a great, you know, and it was all stuff where I was like, Oh man, like it, it, it's like you in churches like Xenos, everything is so manufactured. It's like, am I part of somebody's project or am I somebody, somebody really loves, right? And you know, when you leave, nobody calls you up and, and whatever. So you were part of a project, right? There was really no commitment there. There was really no love there. So I laid under there and I, I mean, I had felt like this. Like I was part of a project, but then I laid under there and I was listening to what they were saying about me and how I had been used by God. And they were all, you know, that was where the base of operations was for my search. And they were all praying for me and stuff like that. And as the night went on, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill myself because clearly I've been doing something right. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this secret with me. Right, I'm going to take this secret with me, and after everybody gives up, I'll pop out, and I will be a miracle from God, and then everybody can praise God that, you know, I survived and all of this jazz, and then I will just take this with. That will be my punishment for what I'm for this terrible amount of manipulation that I'm and the terrible amount of like pain that I'm causing these people, and so I literally. I mean, it was so unbelievable, but there was, um, in the mulch bed underneath the stairwell, there was this ground cloth and there was mulch on top of it. Like the ground cloth was like a weed barrier or whatever. And the mulch yeah. was on top of it. I crawled under the ground cloth with all the bugs and all the worms and everything because I was like, now they cannot find, I can't pop up now. I can't make it back out to the ocean to do this properly. So I better damn well make sure that nobody finds me. So I crawled under the mulch, crawled under the ground cloth and just laid there hiding and they called in the coast guard they called in a black hawk helicopter that was at heat sensors and, and whatnot to go try to find me they threw out buoys to find out where the current was going and they searched and searched and searched and prayed and prayed and prayed and i laid there and like literally had to like hard my heart to not come out and not put an end to the misery i, w- I was causing but I was like, don't worry, Oliver, you'll make this right because this will be a miracle for all of them. And you'll know it's a fraud and you'll know you're a fraud, but God will still use this in some good way, right? So I laid there and and it started raining and soon in the middle of the night, it was two, three, four in the morning, they called off the search, right? They decided, you know, if I had, if I was out there, I was, I was gone. Right. And the search had turned from, a, you know, let's look for somebody, you know, to save them to let's let's look for a body that's going to wash up type type thing. So I let that I let them call off the search after listening to, to it all night um, and then got up, rub, th- took out my contacts, rubbed sand in my eyes, you know, uh, 
got really, really disheveled and, um, walked like six miles down, down the way and then let myself get found. And, you know, started with the, um, you know, and it was a miracle and everybody was praising God and, you know, oh my gosh, I cannot believe you survived. And I can't believe, you know, this happened. And it was, the current was so brutal and everybody had their story about how they had went out swimming that day and barely made it back in. And, you know, God saved you because of the ministry you've done and how, how great you are for the church and all this kind of jazz. Not just, so because, like, okay, he, not just because he loves you, it's because of how productive you were. Oh, absolutely. I had, I remember Ben Gladwell was up on the deck above me talking to Holly McCallum, Dennis's wife, the, the founder's wife saying, well, this is definitely the work of Satan because Oliver has single-handedly brought Ryan Lowry's cell group up from, you know, basically needing to get folded to being a successful group. Right. So I remember they were, that was the stuff that they were bringing up was like, Oliver did this, Oliver did that, Oliver X, you know, and I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm wrong about feeling like such a fraud if I'm this, you know, effective. So even if I feel this way, even if this is not working out, I just need to pick up my cross, take my own advice and, uh, and let this be used for something good and, and, and never tell a soul that I, I basically made, uh, you know, put everybody through this. And, you know, the day after, you know, everybody's coming to see me and stuff, all the news crews are showing up and whatnot. You know, everybody's crying, everybody's praising God. And, and I'm, I just felt flipping dead inside. I was just so dead inside. And I went back, we drove back to Columbus a few days later because nobody wanted to stay at the beach anymore. Not only was it too dangerous, but everybody was just emotionally exhausted over everything that had happened. So we went back to Columbus. And I lived on Tulane in Clintonville, one of the many ministry houses. And I decided, you know, I'm a joke. This is a joke. And I can't live with, with this on my, on my heart. And I will never, I will never, I will never be able to, to, with this, this thing hanging over me, I will never be able to truly figure out what's wrong or what needs to change with my relationship with God. Like I will never be able to count on him to provide any leading in my life. Like I'm basically throwing away my ability to, to do anything, but just hold this, you know? And I, I was like, I, I need to have a relationship with God. I need to figure out why it is that I am the way that I am. I need to get help with this. And so this was, my, this, was, this was an inner dialogue you carried with yourself and you've kept yeah. this secret all this time. And this is what led to your, your inability to keep working in that ministry houses. Is that, is that right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I went, my, the guy who discipled me, Nate lived across high street and I walked down two lane and there was a coffee shop on two lane. And this girl who's, when Zenos was putting together a teaching and said, I'm teaching on miracles. I don't feel like I've ever seen a miracle in my life, but you're a miracle. Can you tell me how you would teach this topic? Oh, wow. And I said, I said to her, I was like, Marcy, like I am a fraud and this was a lie. And I never, I never was at any risk of dying. And, I, and, 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 
that was the fir- first moment where I got, you know, some, some grace from somebody. She said, she was like, she kind of teared up and she's like, I felt like a fraud for years. And I felt like I'm a joke and, and this isn't working for me. And, you know, it was one of those things where she's like, it doesn't work for me, but it clearly worked for you. Like how, how is your relationship with God that he would do this for you? And tell me about the miracle in your life because I don't see them. And I told her, you know, she's the first person I told the truth to. And it wasn't like, I can't believe how fucked up you are. It was more like, you know, oh my gosh, like, um, we, but we both had like a moment where it was like, we, we were both just lost little kids. And so I went and I told my, um, my home church leader, he called a meeting. Everybody got together in our group and I sat in the front of the room and they just flip in, you know, there's something dark and evil in your heart, you know, I cannot believe, you know, the black things that must live inside you to do this. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, you you know, I sat there for like an hour and a half after, after I confessed to them and told them what I'd done and I couldn't cry. I remember sitting there and thinking like, if I could just cry and show them how sad I am or how sorry I am, you know, maybe it would be better. I could not make myself cry. Yeah, And I sat there and, you know, they went all through the room, you know, all 35 of them to talk about what I had done and how I had hurt them. And, you know, a lot of it was, you know, obviously d- deserved. Like I did a, you know, did a very terrible thing and was unbelievably manipulative and unbelievably callous and unbelievably uh, hardened and insensitive and everything else. Um, you had 35, you had 35 men walk through a room, what basically tear you down or rebuke you? Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All of them. But that's, that, that was the thought process in my head was like, man, I deserve every bit. It, It was never, it was never a situation where it was like, you know, like what, what is going on in your mind and your heart that we need to, you know, like what is going on with you that we need to work on or work with you on or support you on or get you help? It was always the the underlying assumption was I had I had everything I needed. I had turned my back on everything God had given me that was good and had, had you know, um, you know, basically spit on it. You know, I got to hear that this home church leader had left his kid alone, and that was the only time his kid had ever been alone to rush out and to look for me. And and what would have happened to Logan if if something you know that would have been on me if his kid had gotten hurt? And like on and on and on, you know, this stuff went. And you know, I sat there and just hoped I hoped I would cry. Um, but I remember it's like a 19 year old, like, okay, well this, maybe I can come back from, maybe I can get rebuilt from this and actually figure out what the hell I'm missing in my walk with God and why this feels like such a fraud. Like everything feels so manufactured, so fake, so based on my utility. 
um, maybe I can find out what's really real here. <laughs> so there was you know, no there, through, there, through, through this. There was no collective understanding by any of the leaders or any consideration of what kind of pain or difficulty had driven such an effective leader to contemplate the action he did and try to help you. It was just, how dare you do that to us? That's basically oh, what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. And it was then sitting there, and I remember it. I mean, God, I remember Sarah Swearingen, one of the, the young women, she was like 18. She was one of my friends. She, this is the only thing I got out of the meeting that was in any sort of, any sort of way redempt, redemption, redemptive. She wrote on a note, I'm fucked up too. Um, if you ever want to talk to me, please call me. Wow. You know, she wrote that on a note had to leave, got up in front of everybody and kind of gave, gave me that on a crumpled up piece of paper and then just, you know, left in the middle of this, you know, what kind of dark, you know, dark thing is in your soul. I've never seen evil like this before type, type thing. Um, so how much longer at that point, were you, were you in leadership or was this after you came back? So this was, this was when I was like 19. I, I then slowly everything started to unravel in my life, right? Like, you know, I was no longer all the guys that I had brought around to, to be discipled. They decided I wasn't, I couldn't disciple them anymore. I was, I was a high school leader. They kicked me out of the high school, high school leadership. Um, then they, then they kicked me out of the house. So they sent me home to live with my parents and I lived on the couch for, you know, three or four months or what, whatever. Um, lived on the couch at my parents' house, um, for, for a while and then ultimately stopped going. Now then my friend Meg then decided, you know, and enough is enough. Like, you know, God still has a will for his life, you know, um, she went and she started to spend time with me. And then I think after, I don't know how, how long I, I was officially gone or, or whatever. Um, I started to go see a counselor in Xenos and then started to meet with her. And she was, you know, she was a big deal in the church. And it was a big deal once again that somebody like that would want to spend time with somebody like me. Yeah. So she started to spend time with me. I started to come back and then I started to slowly kind of get my footing again. And, and, and that's when probably from 19 until, you know, whatever I was 25 or, or whatever, I slowly moved up in the church, right. Is like, you know, it was it was able to kind of put together like some success, you know, in their eyes, um, some lasting success, and and a lot of it was 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 built on her encouragement and her friendship, and 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 the fact that I didn't feel alone or or, or whatever. I felt like, you know, and, and the fact that when we would meet, it wasn't like. Um, you know, God is like a little voice in your head and, and you, and because you don't hear it, he must not be with you. It was more like, you know, there is a lot of doubt in my life, Oliver. There is a lot of, 
you know, loneliness. There is a lot of, you know, and like I said, that's when we kind of started to develop what we wanted to do with our ministry and how we wanted to lead people and how we wanted to lead the group. Um, started to disciple people again, got back into high school leadership, um, <clears throat> you know, got, uh, was then ele- elevated to being a house leader. And then after being a house leader, they decided, well, you know, you can be a cell group leader. Then I became a home church leader and got on the teaching rotation and all that stuff. Um, again, and then it was only, you know, it was after all of that had happened, you know, with going back to school for philosophy and all, all of that jazz that then I had, you know, that moment where once she got married, you know, things kind of fell apart for me again. Um, and that sort of thing. And I ended up like, you know, leaving for good at, at that point. Wow. You know, because I, I just simply could not, didn't feel like I could hack it. Didn't feel like, and it was like self, it was like self removal, like a self punishment, you know, like, um, I'm too, I'm too, too much of a mess up. I'm just going to, I'm going to save them the trouble of watching me crash and burn again, you know? Um, right. So, so like, it was like, you know, I removed myself, um, uh, and punished myself and, and, you know, lived in my car and, you know, didn't have any friends or, or whatever, you yeah. know, didn't, yeah. wasn't able to hack it at school and all that jazz. Yeah. But yeah, there were two, the two, two seminal moments in my life, you know, the, the, the one at the beach and then trying to rebuild my, myself there. And then, you know, the second time I ended up leaving, you know, I was gone for good. And then I started, that's when I started to think, (laughs) okay, I know this place doesn't talk about mental health and doesn't talk about, you know, seeking professional help and doesn't believe in that kind of thing, but maybe I should. And I did. And, and, and and thank God, I, you know, I met Linnea, um, got got real uh help with a psychiatrist um you know got and it got 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 on like 0.25 milligrams which is like tiny little thing is all off but you know was able to to get on that now I, met, I i had a, a ton of friends who were out of the who were not in the church had never gone to the church um at columbus state uh, at the college i had attended um, they really took me under their wing, you know, and, and they liked me for me, not because, you know, I was a project or not because yeah. I could be, you know, a, sh- a sharp tool in their hand to, to go do what they wanted to get done. You know, and like it was, I think it was like a started to see different things that were actually authentic in my life. And, and, and amazingly enough, I started to see that um, to, to me anyway, I started to see that. Um, God is blessing me immeasurably, immeasurably, despite all of the things that I've done wrong. And that was the most amazing thing to me. In the years that followed, um, little by little, the, the things that would go on, um, were, I, I really do feel like God has intervened in my life for the better. And God has blessed me in just incredible way. Like, those things, I felt so fake at Xenos, so inauthentic, 
so coerced, so manipulated. And I did that to everybody else. She just, I did not feel like I've always, I don't want to say always believed in God, but I've, I've always had a, a faith and always believed that there was something else there and always believed that, you know, that something was personal and, and had a will for my life. But I could not hack it at, at Xenos or, or Dwell, could not hack it there, did not feel like it worked for me, and always it, – it was only until afterwards that I started to see, you know, really what I knew to be there all along. I knew God was there. I couldn't see him in, in, in that group, but afterwards, my goodness, I saw him – just show love to me in just a tremendous amount of ways. Um, I got, you know, got a job that was, that's another story for another day. It was pretty miraculous. I met Linnea, which has been one of the key moments of, of my life. Um, you know, had a couple wonderful kids and, and just was able to get help and, and, you know, uh, psychological help and, and that sort of thing was able to develop, you know, consistency and stability, able to start looking at past trauma in my life and work through that. And then, you know, up until, and then up, uh, up until recently, like Xenos has kind of been the one thing that's kind of not been touched. But like I said, at the start of our conversation, talking with people who have left, um, through working through things myself, through listening to old teachings from Dennis, where he's just an authoritarian, you know, it's, it's unbelievable looking at it through adult eyes, you know, what you didn't see as a kid, it's therapeutic. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, like, it's no wonder this didn't work for me. It's no wonder this was such a mind F every day. It's no yeah. wonder, you know, I didn't feel real. I didn't feel you know, you realize what the problem new. was. Exactly. It wasn't exactly. you. And, 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 you know, God, God has been so unbelievably faithful. I, I have always, always since that point for, you know, 15 years or whatever it's been, uh, 12 years, whatever it's been, I have always waited to have another moment where I have collapsed. I've burned. I've been self-destructive. I, thrown away everything i've been whatever all those things that the routine that i would go through in in, in high school and college where it just i would crash and burn and fail in just a, a tremendously visible way i've waited for that and waited for that and waited for that and and by the grace of god it hasn't come and he's he's protected me from some of my you know some of my inclinations and, and that sort of thing and given and been faithful to me. I mean, he's never, it's, it's unbelievable to me that he has con- continued to bless me in immeasurable ways, you know, just, just despite all of the, all of the things that, you know, I've done or, or not done or things that I have racked up or held on to or thought were failures and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I, my, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and like I said to you, it's only been up until kind of looking back on that that I'm like, wait a second, you know, I can, I can, I can look at this through clear eyes that are not clouded by 
sense sense of failure, sense of guilt, sense of shame, uh, regret, sense of uh, defeat, and, and all of that. So you're just seeing for the first time with a clarity you've never had before just how victimized and how manipulated that you were. You were you were just a tool in in a machine. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So in closing, Oliver, what would you say to those who are involved in Xenos, who may be listening in and, or people who may be contemplating going, who may be struggling with, uh, some very acute, you know, personal health issues related to, to their mental challenges. They may be emotionally, uh, fragile. They, they may be people who are victims of, of traumatization. They can't quite get over it. And they're finding that, uh, the, the attempts by Xenos's uh, quote unquote counselors to help them aren't quite adding up. What would you say to them in, in regards to whether they not, not they should just press on and continue to to uh, seek that kind of counsel or really listen uh, to what's going on inside them and find help elsewhere? What would you say to them? I would I would say to them that God in heaven has a desire for their life that is mind blowing and, and how amazing it is in that he has gifts. He has people he wants to put in their life. He has things he wants people to do. He has a burden for them. I mean, he literally knows every hair on their head, right? He, he can call them by their name when they're in their mother's room, room, they're written in the book of life, etc. Like these, these are truths that are foundational, and that this this God wants them to experience Him and to experience uh, the world that He's created here on Earth, right? They don't have to wait. They don't have to suffer. They don't have to experience intense depression. They don't have to experience sleepless nights where they can't get any sleep, where their thoughts are racing in all hours of the morning. He doesn't want to turn them into zombies. He doesn't want to tell them, well, you know, all it's going to be is suffering until your last breath. He wants to show his goodness to them even now. And I would tell them if they don't experience that, if they're not seeing that, and they can look at their heart and they can put it before God and say, God, you know, I'm willing, Lord, I want to listen to you, but something is not adding up here. I, I would say that he'll answer them and he'll provide them that provide them assistance and i would say to them that assistance is probably not going to come through the church mm-hmm. because those people are not equipped they're not trained and they're not able to handle those type of things and it's not because they're sinful it's not because they've been rejected from god's plan it's not because they did x y and z wrong some some people just have issues you know, unfortunately, it's part of the human condition, and it's not rare. People don't have their lives together at 20, 25 years old. They really don't. It needs time and effort, patience, and uh, fortitude to help guide people through that. And unfortunately, right. when you have a machine like Xenos, they don't have the time, you know, and they don't give the effort. And they don't, they definitely don't have the fortitude to, to weigh into those really chronic issues that people come to the table with. Um, Thankfully for us, there are a tremendous amount of resources outside of the church, um, people willing to listen. 
And unfortunately, here in Columbus, a culture of uh, professionals that have dealt with way too many people from Xenos who have left the church. You know, you can walk in, whether it be providers for a healthy living, whether it be um, I'm, I'm going to um, uh, to a group through OSU, irregardless of who you're actually going through and talking to, you can say Xenos slash dwell, and they know who you're talking about, and they know what you're dealing with. Yeah. So I, I would just say to them, God has a plan for them. God has the life that he wants to see, that he wants to establish within them a good life. Um, a, a life that will make other people say, my God, what does this guy have going on? Um, that will lead other people to Christ. Right. He wants them to have a good life. And I would, and I would say that, um, you know, they're, they're not the black sheep and they don't have to suffer. Right. And there is help. And, and to please, for God's sake, go look for it outside of Xenos right. because they will chalk it up into very black and white. Well, have you done what you need to be doing? Um, have you reached out to people? Have you been praying every day? Have you read your Bible at 7 a.m.? Are you journaling? You know, they'll chalk it up to those things where, you know, apparently if you check enough boxes, you should be, you know, full, complete, and mature in Christ. Um, which, which, uh, even if the people have checked up those boxes and are thinking, oh my God, why am I, you know, why am I the one who's not? You know, working out. Yeah, there, there's a reason. There's a reason. We live in a fallen world. We have, you know, fallen bodies that, that, that we have. And there are certain things that come with that. Right. You know, it's not nothing to be embarrassed about, nothing to, to hide, nothing to try to suck up. Um, get, get help. And it's something you really should pursue. I mean, God's word says in Proverbs 11, 14, where there is no counsel, the people fall. So there's right there uh, the clear indication that counsel is a good thing. But it goes on to say, but in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And, and I, I note on that, on that part as we, as we close today that in the multitude, in the, in the number of counselors, uh, there mm-hmm. comes a security. So finding counsel outside of Xenos is not an unspiritual thing to do. As a matter of fact, looking, looking to the secular, for for some insight on the spiritual is not always a bad thing. And, exactly. and I, thank you so much, man. I, that's that's a great insight today, and I feel like that's just what uh, uh, some of what we've what we've been hearing about in terms of uh, Xenos's control over people and using them in a manner to uh, forward on uh, their own agenda. Uh, often leaves people holding the bag. Yeah, and I say I hope it brings people hope too. If you're in that situation and you feel like I've tried everything and it's not working for me, um, get a second opinion, you know, get a different viewpoint. Roger that. And, That's uh, it. Yeah, you'd be surprised at, at the results that will come about because God does not want to leave you on an island alone. He doesn't want you to um, uh, to live a life that doesn't bring glory to his name. He wants to bless you, and he wants to do it in a manner that – other people will see and, and think, oh my gosh, right. you know, what right. a Lord that this person follows, I want to follow him too. So that's, that's, uh, you know, that's a God that I've been able to get to know. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. 
Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.